0: Hey everyone, this is the second part of a two-part story. You don't need to hear the first episode to understand this one, but I definitely recommend checking it out. It's called The Price of Eggs, and it dropped the same day as this one. And just as a warning, this story contains mentions of grooming and sexual abuse. So take care while listening. After I interview someone on this show, typically our conversation lingers in my brain for a while. But with this episode, I found myself practically every day thinking about it. That's because it's both a story you'd never expect, but also one that's painfully common. When Quinn Topham opened up to me about their story, they told me that it started with a secret, one that they thought would crumble their world if friends and family ever knew. Like, if they
1: knew about all those lies, they would they would not love me anymore. It's I, I don't know what will be left for me on the other side of that.
0: Quinn's story is about the lasting impacts of sexual abuse, how trauma can rear its head in the most unexpected ways. For this episode, we're going to focus on the financial and career repercussions, and how all of that would eventually lead Quinn down an astonishing path. Because for as difficult as Quinn's story is, they also ended up in a place that feels kind of miraculous. When I asked Quinn what they were like as a teenager, I had an easy time imagining them, mostly because I could relate. Quinn identified as a marching band nerd, which same. They were outgoing, earnest, a bit sheltered. They grew up in a city outside of Seattle, and their life mostly revolved around church and just being silly with friends. We're, as Mormons, like you're supposed to keep a journal
1: for posterity. I had a friend that we would, if we decided our journals were getting too boring, we would go have journal days together where we would try to go make something happen.
0: Like they dress up in these weird costumes and run around town together. We had like kind of the mask from Scream and like these
1: cloaks. So we had like four different costume changes. Oh my God, this was elaborate. Yeah, like if you're not having premarital sex, the kinds of things (laughs) you do to entertain yourself, right?
0: Quinn was an overachiever, one of those students who spent an unhealthy amount of time obsessing over their schoolwork. Their dream was to one day become a high school French teacher. Still, Quinn was worried that a good report card wouldn't be enough to get them into college. They were the second oldest of five girls, and such a big family with a modest income meant going to college wasn't a guarantee. Quinn's parents weren't much of a resource, and besides, they were busy with the other kids. What Quinn needed was someone who noticed their potential and could help them channel it. In junior year, an English teacher came along who saw something in Quinn.
1: He had quite the persona at the school for um, for being a good teacher, but for for being, like, very strict and demanding and high expectations. I,
0: like a lot of people, felt very intimidated by him. He was a big deal on campus. He was a former sergeant in his late 30s who kept his private life private and called all of his students by their last names. He was also the advisor of the school's National Honor Society and had access to all of the students' grades, which was why one day he asked to see Quinn after school. I went in and had this quick conversation. He told Quinn, you're a smart student. You've got a 4.0. But if you want to get into college, we've got to build up your resume. How was I going to take calculated risks, was his language, to like Mm.
1: really excel and find myself.
0: It was almost too much for Quinn, who up to that point felt too shy to even speak up in his class. Felt very flattered by it, very,
1: like, special. Mm -hmm. Went and told my best friend immediately. She's like, you have to write that in your journal, like,
0: right away. You don't want to forget that. It was a big deal. Yeah, yeah. That next year, the teacher began complimenting Quinn and talking to them with a kind of mutual respect a lot of teenagers feel like they don't get from adults. And then he started opening up about his personal life. I came into school, just normal school day, and he said, like, I just found out my
1: wife's pregnant. Please don't tell him. We're not announcing it yet.
0: What a weird thing to share with a student. Yeah, right? But for 17-year-old Quinn, this was gold. Remember when you were in high school and you discovered a private detail about a teacher? Kind of blows your mind. For years, students have been desperately piecing together tiny bits of information about him, comparing notes— And now Quinn had intimate details of the man no one knew. Like any teenager with a secret, Quinn ran home to find someone to tell.
1: I went home and told my parents because I was like, guess what? Like, haha, I know a secret. And my dad was like, why did he,
0: Mm.
1: why did he tell you that? I was like, I'm, why wouldn't people want to talk to me, dad? Other adults get that I'm like a really cool intellectual partner.
0: But soon, the teacher would start to test the bounds of their relationship in more alarming ways. Just before Christmas break, a school dance was coming up. Quinn had a date with a boy who wasn't a member of their church, and they were nervous about it. One day after school, Quinn was chatting about this date with the teacher. I mentioned that I was nervous about um, my boundaries with this
1: person. Mm -hmm. Um, And the teacher uh, was like, that's really interesting. You seem so confident.
0: They'd been sitting together on a couch, and it's at this point the teacher inched closer to Quinn. He was like, wait, so... So,
1: like, if I did this, and he, like, scooted closer, and he's like, and you, and you didn't like that, would you feel like you could tell me? I was like, no, no, I don't think so. What I'm telling you is I couldn't do that. And he was like, so if I, like, did this, and he put his hand on my knee, I was like, and you didn't want me to, like, you would, like,
0: you wouldn't feel like you could tell me to stop. It made Quinn uncomfortable. Like, Quinn's body processed it as a violation, but Quinn's brain didn't. I leaned into the like,
1: oh, okay, this I think this is protective somehow. I yeah. I'm sure it'll make sense. Right? And I'm still trusting him, like that I I think intellectually trusting, like, you you wouldn't do anything wrong.
0: I should say that this is a really clear example of grooming. Grooming is defined as manipulative behaviors that an abuser uses to gain access to a potential victim to coerce them to agree to the abuse, and then minimize the risk of being caught. The teacher was testing Quinn's physical boundaries in a way that appeared harmless to someone as young as Quinn. He was normalizing this kind of behavior, trying to gain Quinn's trust. These moments kept happening. It was confusing for a teenager who'd occupied such a small world up until then. Quinn told me that, like a lot of teens that age, they did feel excited by the idea that someone found them interesting, worthy of spending time with. And Quinn would rationalize things that felt strange. One day at school, he kissed Quinn on the cheek. But he'd also kissed other students on the cheek during graduation the year before. So maybe it was fine? That year, before and after school, Quinn would spend a lot of time with the teacher in his classroom. The excuse was to help Quinn with schoolwork or prepare for college, but they'd spend most of the time just talking. Even on the weekends, the teacher would ask Quinn to meet up on campus— he also eventually sold Quinn his car to make it easier for them to drive back and forth to school. All of this raised a lot of eyebrows, and not just within Quinn's family. By this point, there's there's a lot
1: of rumors going around school about me. I heard from friends that another teacher had, like, made a joke about it to her whole class. What? My parents had asked me about it a few times. People at church were kind of bringing it up in a jokey way.
0: All of the questions and jokes only made Quinn defensive. From their perspective, nothing significant had happened. Until, one day, something did. It was the weekend, and Quinn and the teacher were alone in his classroom, when he abruptly kissed Quinn on the lips. My lip quivered
1: uncontrollably. Like, he kissed me just on the mouth and then went and sat behind his desk and just had a normal conversation with me for a while. And during that conversation, my lip was, like, quivering uncontrollably,
0: just like... I was so agitated. It started to feel like the walls were closing in all around Quinn. I was so upset. I just
1: went home and cried. Mm-hmm. I was like, I, I don't, I want this to stop. I don't want to be in his class next semester. But if I transfer from his class, everyone will know what happened. I'm just imagining the big collective, we knew it, we told you so. Mm-hmm. Like, you're the person who didn't understand this. Like... I felt very foolish.
0: Yeah, I can imagine you don't want to share that with anyone.
1: No. And and I felt complicit like I, I, right? Like I think from the beginning felt like god, I think this is my fault.
0: Too. I I can't I can't tell anyone this. Quinn emailed the teacher that weekend and said, "I want to talk with you on Monday." And when Monday rolled around, Quinn was nervous but didn't hold back. This can't happen again. The teacher agreed. But then he kissed Quinn again. We both knew we couldn't help ourselves, he told Quinn. For the rest of Quinn's senior year, their relationship intensified. The teacher would eventually push things towards sex. He would lock the door and roll the TV card in front of it. Quinn didn't have the vocabulary back then, that this was rape, sexual abuse. Quinn began to accept what was happening, that they were in a relationship, just one that society would never welcome. The teacher would paint this tragic picture of their romance. He
1: was describing us as like star-crossed lovers, thwarted by this 20-year age difference. Now he has his family. He can't just leave his wife. Like, he would never do that
0: to his child. Quinn would lay in bed at night and imagine what people would say if they knew about their relationship with a married man. Their friends and family in the church would see adultery as a horrible sin. Quinn's mom might never talk to them again. Hearing Quinn's story and others like it, it made me realize just how emotionally powerful a relationship like this can be. I mean, imagine you're 17 years old, you've never been intimate or seriously dated anyone before, and suddenly someone you respect, who you hope to one day become like, is telling you that among all the other students, among everyone in this world, they want you. Because what you two have, it is something as grand and as poetic as the stories of Shakespearean tragedies." And for Quinn, what felt at first exciting began to morph into what actually felt like a tragedy. They felt like they were on a path that was predestined, a path much bigger than them. And it was too late to undo it. When Quinn graduated from high school, they figured their relationship might end there. College was going to open up a new world with new possibilities. But Quinn ended up going to a school just half an hour away from home, and nothing seemed to change. They were still in touch, still having sex. And whenever Quinn had any urge to share this with someone, he'd tell Quinn, we both have as much to lose if word came out. It would destroy both of our reputations. At some point, I'm like, "I, this is my life. I'm stuck in it. I feel pretty doomed. And I, I'm participating, too. To keep this secret, to keep their reputation intact, they did what a lot of victims of abuse do. They stopped seeing family as much, stopped talking to old friends, and didn't bother to make new ones. Because all I'm thinking about
1: is this dreadful secret all the time.
0: What story would you tell yourself about why you're with him? Like, how did you justify it in your mind?
1: I think my world stayed so small that he felt valuable to me as somebody who knew me, which I, right, I think like the importance of like feeling
0: seen and understood by someone. And as Quinn got older, his influence on their life only became stronger, especially in terms of Quinn's career. You'll remember Quinn wanted to become a high school French teacher. He would tell Quinn, for students to take a young attractive woman like you seriously, you need to get a PhD. So, after college, Quinn enrolled into a grad program in Los Angeles. And the relationship continued, even with the distance. And as Quinn began pursuing a career in teaching, they couldn't help but think of something that the teacher had told them back in high school.
1: He had told me that um, from the beginning that one day I would, when I became a teacher, I would understand the line that he had crossed and that I would hate him for it. And I had spent years reassuring him that that was not true.
0: But as a teacher assistant, Quinn started to wonder if he'd been right. Quinn would stand in front of the class, looking at their students, and the imbalanced power dynamic became shockingly apparent. Quinn was so protective of their students that they'd often lose their temper or lash out at other TAs if Quinn thought that they were being disrespectful towards students. Quinn didn't know it then, but this difficulty controlling anger was a symptom of post-traumatic stress disorder. Little by little, Quinn noticed their feelings towards the teacher were shifting
1: why am I waking up at five in the morning to call you on your drive into work as a grad student? He was like engaging with me, what I cared about less and less mm-hmm. and like just kind of dumping on me or like describing what he saw while he was driving. Like it was just like, this is not the stuff that dreams were made of. This, mm. I, I'm not seeing you as this like smart mentor anymore. I'm seeing you as like this boring guy who
0: never changes up his routine. Quinn's world began to crack open a bit. Yet, for the next several years, Quinn's life was still enmeshed with the teachers. I could spend a lot more time talking about it, but what you need to know is that this relationship weighed heavily on Quinn. It was the source of their depression, a darkness that loomed everywhere they went, even when they were miles away. Quinn would try to end things, but the teacher would remind Quinn that they have an unbreakable bond. At the same time, Quinn began to slowly reframe what happened to them as a teenager. They learned how consent isn't possible in a relationship involving an adult teacher and a high school student, or between an adult and a minor in general. And it wasn't like there was this one lightning bolt moment. Quinn's untethering from the relationship happened slowly over time, until one day they built up the courage and the physical distance to say, I'm done. In 2012, nine years after the teacher began grooming Quinn, Quinn called the teacher and told him, I'm cutting off all contact. I'm feeling very
1: angry with him. Mm-hmm. So I, I told him, I don't, I don't want to hear from you. Like, don't, don't call me, don't text me, don't, don't email me. Um, blocked him on everything eventually because he didn't respect that. How did it feel to end things with him? I felt powerful. It still wasn't like the most... Powerful, like, realizations that came later. But it was like, I, I think I was stunted by you.
0: For the first time in a long time, Quinn felt optimistic about their future and all of its possibilities. Life felt lighter. But the thing with trauma is that it can be like a ghost. It stays invisible, resurfacing when you least expect it. A few years later, Quinn was preparing to go to a local hiring fair for teachers. It'd been a long time since Quinn set foot near a classroom. Since ending things with the teacher, they'd quit their Ph.D. program. The thought of teaching in a high school felt unbearable. They were living in the Bay Area and had come out as trans, non-binary, and queer. They'd been working odd jobs, cleaning houses, driving for Uber. It wasn't uncommon for their bank account to hit zero.
1: It just feels so scrappy and barely hanging on, and it's not adding up to any stability, Mm -hmm. and I'm feeling a little
0: too old to be,
1: (laughs) right, just like, it's not where I thought my life would be.
0: And so it was at that point, in their late 20s, when they decided maybe it was time to finally go back to teaching. Maybe they were ready. For the hiring fair, Quinn wore the nicest dress pants they could find and had a folder in hand that included their resume. But as soon as they walked into that school building, Quinn felt off. I'm feeling, like, bristly
1: and self-protective. And, like, not just not part of the crowd, but, like, trying to throw up walls around myself.
0: Quinn scanned the room, at the teachers in their teacher clothes talking about teacher things. Antagonistic thoughts started racing through Quinn's head. I'm just seeing everyone in there as an adult who's a teacher, who's
1: united about protecting the secrets of what teachers do to students. And, like, some of you are hurting kids. All of you are in on it. You're either a predator or an enabler, like, Hmm. just disgusted and scared.
0: Intellectually, they knew that wasn't true. But that didn't change that feeling of panic and fear. Being constantly on guard for possible danger, seeing everything as a threat— It's another symptom of PTSD. Quinn started to feel their heart beating faster, their palms getting sweatier. And standing there under the fluorescent lights, they had a panic attack. Since they were 12 years old, they wanted to become a high school teacher. And now, whenever they thought of the career, all they could think of was the abuse.
1: And so to still experience, like, this major barrier just made me so sad and angry.
0: They were angry at the teacher, at the colleagues who'd whispered and joked about Quinn, at the school district, at all the adults and systems that had made it possible for 17-year-old Quinn to be in this relationship for nine years and still, till this day, carry feelings of shame and responsibility. Quinn walked out of that hiring fair that day and realized this wasn't something they could just snap out of and move on from. No, Quinn decided they were going to sue the school district and hold all the enablers accountable for what had happened. Quinn found a law firm and started the process.
1: And I am so desperate right now. If there's a way to have this, to actually get money, um, Mm -hmm. for this to be recognized as something that cost me, like, financially, and I could be compensated for that, that would be very validating just to be fought for in that way. Whether or not I got money, I would get a lot out of that. —
0: Talking to Quinn about this, I wondered, how do you even put a price tag on what childhood abuse cost you? How do you gauge who you would have become, how your career may have unfolded, if you didn't have the burden of carrying a terrible secret 24-7, if you weren't in perpetual fear that at any moment your life might shatter? What's the cost of lost youth? Quinn met with an outside evaluator to go over the financial impact, not just how the abuse affected their professional life and ability to make money, but also how the trauma might creep in later in life and what that might cost them. What happens if Quinn were to have a child one day? What would it be like when that child goes to school, or when they turn the same age Quinn was when the abuse started? Quinn was suing the school district for mental anguish and emotional distress, and could receive a seven-figure dollar amount.
1: I had so many ideas about how, what that might change for me, ranging from grandiose, like, I'm gonna go to therapy, And I'm going to make everybody in my life that I want a better— like, that I want to heal with, I'm going to have them go to therapy with me, too. So here's, like, my, like, seven (laughs) different therapy buddies.
0: This is money that would come from the school district's insurance. But once news of the lawsuit became public, that didn't stop Internet trolls from claiming students would go without textbooks because of Quinn's lawsuit. Quinn didn't pay any mind to that. They'd finally done what for years had felt impossible— They told the truth. And what happened next is something 17-year-old Quinn could have never imagined. They felt supported, believed. When Quinn's mom found out, she didn't shun Quinn. She embraced them.
1: I felt so sad, though, thinking, like, is this the reaction she would have had when I was 18? Could all of this been avoided?
0: Quinn was featured in the local news, and soon enough, it felt like everyone in Quinn's hometown knew about what had happened. And so, like, people are asking me, like, do you think there's anyone else?
1: Anytime people would ask that, I was like, I yeah, not that I know of. But then I was on the phone with my mom. She was checking in. She had heard from somebody at church. Somebody had talked to my mom and said, do Quinn's lawyers know about Ashley? So my mom calls me and says, there might be another person. Mm -hmm. And as soon as my mom said the name Ashley, like— Mm. It clicked for me as like, yes.
0: Towards the end of Quinn's relationship with the teacher, he'd started talking with Quinn about another young student he was impressed by. Her name was Ashley Griffin, the same Ashley from the last episode. On December 8th, 2016, Quinn sat at their desk, found Ashley's profile on Facebook through some mutual connections, and began to type her a long message.
1: I said, hi, Ashley, I don't really know how to reach out to you, but I think it's important, so I'm going to try. Short story, I was a student of...
0: Quinn went on to explain how they'd been sexually abused by this teacher, and how holding on to this secret cost them so many years and so much pain.
1: I'm reaching out to you because I think we might have something in common. If my story is also your story, I don't need anything from you but I wanted to be one voice that tells you it wasn't your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. I believe you and all my resources and everything my heart can muster are yours. Take care of yourself and let me know if I can be of any help to you, even if you just want someone to talk to.
0: Were you nervous about whether she'd respond?
1: Yeah, like, yeah. Nervous, excited. I think I was imagining that, that she had a more together life than me. And so like, maybe you would like, oh, that's, thank you so much.
0: Which is not at all what actually ended up happening. (laughs) Not at all what happened, no, that's for sure. (laughs) After the break, Ashley replies.
2: I think it said, like, I think we have something in common, or we might have something in common.
0: This is Ashley Griffin. The day she got Quinn's Facebook message, she just gone home from work and was standing in the middle of her room, her phone in her hand.
2: I just followed the little notifications before I could process what was happening.
0: Once it hit you that it's from Quinn, how does your was, body react? What are you I've, thinking? I think
2: stunned, frozen. I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is that person.
0: Ashley had heard of Quinn, not just that they'd also been in a relationship with the same teacher, but how they were now filing a lawsuit against the school district. Ashley quickly read through the message.
2: And I remember, like, kind of like the... Double brain cognitive dissonance of like it feeling so good to have Quinn know mm-hmm. and say that we had something in common and the like okay first things first set Quinn on the right track let them know we have nothing in common <laughs>
0: like Wait, why nip you say that, that in the
2: bud because I I don't want to be a part of this and I think of if I I'm scared that Quinn is like looping me into it.
0: Ashley's heart started beating faster. All she was thinking was please keep me out of this lawsuit, which is basically what she wrote back.
2: I fully support you in this, but please, please, if you have any power, don't let me be brought into it.
0: Quinn remembers reading that message right away. Here's Quinn. And by the way, I should say, Quinn and Ashley have pretty similar voices. I think it felt unexpected and like I kind of had to freeze to not make a wrong move. Like, have I already made a wrong move? Is this already threatening? Then Ashley gave more context. She told Quinn, I need to be upfront and transparent with you. I'm still in a relationship with this teacher.
2: I was trying to express believing and supporting Quinn and still being in contact with him and his family and really feeling for him and his family. That was that was complicated too. Um, but I was like trying to be honest about that and like name it early on for Quinn.
0: Ashley had basically told Quinn, I believe that you were abused, but that wasn't my experience. I don't have grounds for a lawsuit." Quinn was completely taken aback. They just poured their heart out to someone who was on good terms with their abuser. That's when Quinn started to learn how Ashley's life also became entangled with the teachers. Ashley grew up in the same town as Quinn. She's seven years younger, so they didn't overlap in high school. But I was surprised to hear so many similarities in their backgrounds. Like Quinn, Ashley was in the marching band, and her social life was mostly through her church. She was raised evangelical. She's also one of many siblings. She was the oldest and always felt like she had to take care of everyone. Ashley wasn't the best student, but she was a curious teenager. She'd read anything she could get her hands on. Back in her junior year of high school, six years before she got that Facebook message from Quinn, Ashley signed up for an AP English class with the teacher. English was her favorite subject. But like the rest of the students, Ashley was intimidated by him. She remembers the first time the teacher singled her out. He held me after
2: class, and he said, like, something. He was like, "Miss Griffin, why don't you talk more? Like, I, I know your voice is shaking, but I want to hear you talk more. And that, like, felt like I was, like,
0: maybe smarter than I thought I was. He'd succeeded in making her feel special. And then shortly after, he crossed a line. During class one
2: day, he would, like— paced the classroom while he was lecturing and often like touch people to call on them but he while he was lecturing it came up and stood behind me and he tucked my tag into my shirt and like Hmm. rubbed my back while he was doing it and what was like really disturbing to me was i didn't like it i knew i didn't like it and i could not say anything like i just felt so frozen
0: Ashley's Seat was positioned in a way where no one could see this. She didn't know how to make sense of it. Then the following year, she had one class with him and another period where she worked as his class assistant. He'd tell her that she needed to come in during the weekends, which she thought was weird. But, you know, you do as you're told.
2: And throughout that, he, like, was, like, touching me more. But it's like, I... I, like, doubted myself that it even happened half the time. Like, sure. he would hand me the hall pass, but, like, hold my hand while he did it.
0: Ashley doesn't remember the first time he kissed her. But by the end of her senior year, it happened often. Ashley would tell him multiple times, I don't want to do this anymore. I felt like I must be such
2: a bad communicator. Like, I keep thinking mm. I'm saying things, I, but it's, it's not working. Like, yeah. just, I felt crazy.
0: Like Quinn, Ashley had never been sexually intimate with anyone before. Ashley also didn't think the relationship would continue the way it did after high school. When she went off to college, she'd spend most weekends with him. And she never told anyone in her life. Instead of staying up till 2 a.m. eating junk food with her roommates, laughing at bad movies, she'd find herself lying in bed next to him while he was asleep snoring. And she'd think to herself, most 18-year-olds probably are not spending their Friday nights like this.
2: I felt so guilty for, like, sleeping with a married man. I hated myself for it. Like, and, it, like, I felt like it's not even this love story. Like, it's just mm. this teach. Like, it just, it felt, I, I felt so much shame around that. It was scary, but, but it wasn't worth, like, losing what I liked about the relationship.
0: Ashley liked that she had someone to confide in. Someone who felt like a partner, but also like a parent and a mentor, all wrapped up in one person. And she felt too complicit, too dependent on him, to know a way out. During this time, the teacher was also seeing Quinn, which Ashley didn't know about. But Ashley did know Quinn existed. The teacher would talk about them, how Quinn was an important person in his family's life. He even had a picture of Quinn with his family as his computer screensaver. But as far as Ashley knew, it was entirely platonic.
2: I just felt like Quinn was, like, this distant, brilliant person who had this whole cool life, like, mm. in grad school and working on a Ph.D. and, like, all the things that, like, I thought he approved of. Um, and then he stopped talking about Quinn at all. Like, mm. I asked about Quinn sometimes, like, kind, of, and he sh- was like, I don't know, kind of shut down the conversation. and um,
0: and, and now you know that's because Quinn had ended their relationship.
2: <laughs> yes, now I know that.
0: Quinn had filed the lawsuit a couple of years after Ashley graduated from college. Ashley first heard about it from the teacher. He told her it's all garbage, that Quinn was lying. And at the same time, he started to fear that Ashley would break away too. He started
2: saying things like you're gonna you're gonna regret this someday, you're gonna turn against me. You're, you claim to love me now, but someday you won't. I can't trust mm. you. I was so confused and frustrated by this, so I'd, like, try to convince him. I was like, no, I love you. I want this. Like, I, like, talk him out of it. And that became the dynamic after that.
0: He'd tell Ashley how the lawsuit had ruined his marriage. He was sleeping on the couch. He was lonely. Ashley was the only one who understood him. And it's around this time that Ashley gets that Facebook message from Quinn After Ashley told Quinn, hey, I'm still in a relationship with this teacher, Quinn responded as sympathetically as they could.
1: I said, that's pretty hard to hear, but shit's complicated. And I get that that's where you're at.
0: Quinn had thought about totally cutting off contact, but something in them wanted to keep talking to Ashley. And Ashley wanted to keep talking, too. So they kept talking on Facebook Messenger and started to open up more about their experiences with the teacher, while still trying to be mindful of each other's feelings. I think an
1: awareness around, like, triggers, an awareness around, like, trauma dumping, oversharing things that hurt the other person. So we're being gentle with each other.
0: The week they connected, they exchanged messages for hours at a time, sometimes well into the morning. And they weren't just talking about the teacher. They were learning more about each other. Quinn admired how much Ashley read how she'd casually drop Maya Angelou quotes into conversation. And Ashley was in awe of the queer community Quinn had actively built in their life. Also, she loved just how thoughtful Quinn was, how they always seemed to ask the right questions. They swapped childhood stories, asked each other about their work, life goals. They also discovered they had the same taste in music, that they were both big fans of Brandy Carlisle. And when they'd talk about their relationship with the teacher and things felt too heavy, they'd send lyrics back and forth to each other. They were bonding. But that also didn't change the fundamental difference between them. Quinn was still moving forward with their lawsuit, and Ashley was still seeing the teacher. In fact, Ashley told the teacher that she was in touch with Quinn, which did not go over well with him. He started not just blaming Quinn, but Ashley for how his life was falling apart. And it's around this time that Ashley, because of her conversations with Quinn, because of how the teacher was reacting, she started to look back at the story she'd always told herself.
2: It made me rethink every single thing about our relationship, and none of it was true anymore.
0: For years, Ashley had thought about the relationship as complex, but honest. That honesty was comforting.
2: Like, I thought for as bad as this makes me feel, for as complicated as it is, at least I— at least at least he's not lying to me. Like, he's lying to everybody else. He's lying to his wife. That's what I think men do, is they lie. And at least Mm -hmm. I'm in a relationship with a man where I'm not being lied to, I'm not being tricked, we're in it together. And then it turned out I was wrong.
0: Many of the same things he'd done with Quinn, he'd done with Ashley— Those long, weird hugs in the classroom, how he also offered to sell Ashley his car, and how he'd lock the door and roll the TV card in front of it.
2: Like, that wasn't wasn't a thing he thought of in the moment that was so clever. That's what he does, is he moves the TV in front of the door. Like, just, like, tiny little things like that. And I think that was, like, the first moment there was any, like, baby seed of a thought of, like, did you take advantage of me? Like, is that... Mm. I I was 17. Like, everything I thought was new to both of us, you had Mm -hmm. done before. You planned it. And I felt so betrayed and sickened by that.
0: Ashley told the teacher she needed some space. But he kept texting, kept calling her. Then one day, he showed up to Ashley's job unannounced and said he was her dad.
2: And that scared me a lot. Like, he was mad at me, telling me I needed to leave with him. I, like, literally hid in the closet. And that when that happened, I was like, I don't know him like I thought I did. I thought we had this, like, strong relationship, and it turns out I don't know anything.
0: After that, she cut off communication with him for good. Ashley felt certain she didn't want him in her life anymore. And now, with Quinn on her side, it was easier. Finally, she felt free. The weeks and months that followed were still difficult, both emotionally and financially. If you listen to episode one, this is around the same time that Ashley was selling her eggs to stay afloat. Something that stuck with me while talking to Ashley and Quinn was how the abuse impacted other decisions they made in their lives, in ways that didn't always make sense at the time. Like, it eventually dawned on Ashley that her egg donations—why she found it so appealing, why she did it six times— a lot of that had to do with the teacher. And the way Ashley explains it, it's heavy, but it makes sense to me. She says sometimes when you've experienced trauma, you can find yourself subconsciously reenacting it in other parts of your life while hoping for a different result. I think
2: the, like, very specific physical vaginal pain of egg donation felt pretty similar to these other kind of crappy mm-hmm. sexual experiences. and through egg donation i felt that pain i felt like that very like intimate personal pain and was tended to in it and like had people take it seriously and
0: had people respond to me when ashley was just 17 inexperienced and vulnerable the teacher had taken something from her and in these hospital settings it felt possible to take some of that back After Ashley cut off things with the teacher, she began to wonder just how long it would take to move on.
2: I'm thinking to myself, maybe in a few years I'll be okay. Quinn is a few years ahead of me and is not okay. Like, so I, like, I, I just felt so hopeless and disconnected from myself.
0: Quinn was also going through a really difficult time. Talking with lawyers, preparing for the depositions, it was all incredibly draining. Most days it was hard to get out of bed. By then, Quinn and Ashley had been talking for several months, and both of them desperately wanted to meet in real life. And so on April 1st, 2017, Quinn mustered the energy and made the long drive from California to Washington to visit Ashley. Meeting in person felt momentous, so Quinn made a grand gesture. They pulled up in the parking lot of Ashley's work and blasted one of their favorite songs from Brandy Carlisle, a song with some of their favorite lyrics which
1: were like, I can be the engine, you can be the the wheel.
2: wheel,
0: And we can drive
1: at home, home, never have to worry about being alone.
2: alone. Like,
1: so she saw me pull up. She saw me, like, get out of the car. But she was peering out from, like, somewhere
2: else. (laughs) So I went around the corner so that I could see Quinn first and so that I could approach Quinn. I think, surely, we hugged. Yeah, it did feel a little awkward at first, right? Yeah, there was definitely awkwardness, but at least for me, there was also, like, an immediate, like, comfortability Mm, that I wasn't sure would
0: happen. They spent several days together, and at one point, they turned to each other and were like...
2: Do you want to get tattoos? Yeah, sure.
1: And we're like, ooh, like, what about, like, a vintage car wheel? What would that look like? Ooh, what color?
0: They got tattoos on their biceps, a car engine, and a steering wheel. To represent the song. It was a reminder that they'd be there for each other. To offer fuel and direction. And that ultimately, they'll get farther together than if they were alone. That week, they drove around the town where they both grew up. Pointing out places that felt significant to each of them.
2: This is the house where this happened. That's the house where that happened. Like, it felt like Mm -hmm. comparing notes and comparing maps and worldviews. And so much was more overlaid then, like, I would have guessed. And, like, he's not what we have in
1: common. We have this whole town mm. that we both spent lots of time in. We both have, like, streets and topographical references.
0: This week that they spent together, it felt magical and healing. And for Quinn, it was a nice distraction from their lawsuit, which is still underway. But more than that, meeting in person took their relationship in an unexpected direction.
1: We were together by the end of that trip, right? Like... Oh,
0: wait, wait, what? I know.
2: <laughs> we're never going to fit.
0: Okay, so clearly I did not expect to hear that they got together, and they also didn't expect that to happen.
2: It was all so much more physical and less conversational. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I think early on, I don't think we had a ton of conversations to, like, to define it or try right. to define it.
0: Right. It sounds like you all weren't concerned about making sense of what was happening.
2: Yeah, Yeah. and nothing made sense that was happening in my life. And so this was a nonsensical thing that felt good.
0: Months later, they took a trip together to the Grand Canyon. They set up a hammock on the edge overlooking the park. In that moment between sunset and dusk, they realized this thing between them wasn't just a bond from shared trauma or just a hookup.
2: I was excited. I felt in love. And I think I was like being really careful, like trying to be fair to Quinn to make sure that this wasn't just like newfound freedom from this other relationship. I'm like, no, I actually, I like Quinn. I like you, like this feels like personal. And of course it's like trauma bonded, but it feels like more than that too. And like, like we'd get along with each other even if we had met
0: a different way. Like, does it just sort of blow your mind that you all (laughs) are here together? And yeah, yeah. sense? It occasionally sense?
2: still feels a little surreal to me, but like, like it also feels very real. But it's yeah, it it felt like a movie. It
0: does feel like the plotline of a movie.
2: Yeah, it's a bad movie. Nobody would give it approval. It's too nobody. Much. It's... It was too unrealistic, <laughs> right? Like it's it's silly.
0: Even after having spent weeks talking with them about their story, I'm still shocked by how everything unfolded. It's pretty wild. Falling in love felt so surreal and joyful. But the backdrop was still grim. They were still reeling from the impact of the abuses. Quinn especially was grappling with the emotional and mental fallout of the lawsuit. Then, just weeks before the trial, Quinn got bad news from their lawyer. After months of legal proceedings that had cast a huge cloud over Quinn's life, the case had been dropped because of statute of limitations. What was it like when your case got dismissed? How did that feel?
1: I'm disheartened, and I'm a bit dazed. I was grateful for, like, all the things that I needed it to do as far as being a vehicle to announce some things. It's not ideal. It's crappy. It sucks the way the energy shifts to the details about the law instead of, like, the harm done.
0: Not only was it awful for Quinn to relive their trauma in the public record, but for months, Quinn had put their life on hold because of this lawsuit. And in the process, they'd racked up a lot of credit card debt. Meanwhile, the school district had kept the teacher employed on paid leave. During the litigation, the teacher did admit to having a sexual relationship with Quinn and that they did have sex in his classroom, though he claimed that this only happened after Quinn had turned 18 and graduated. Ashley, who originally wanted nothing to do with any lawsuit, started to reconsider.
2: It surprised me to notice that I did want him held accountable in some capacity. I kind of felt like, well, then fine, I'll sue next.
0: Ashley worried. What if she ends up in the same position as Quinn? She processes the full extent of the harm much later, but then her statute of limitations passes. Then no one gets held accountable.
2: It kind of felt like now's
0: my chance. Ashley filed a lawsuit against the school district. She wanted to hold not just the teacher, but administrators accountable to have her trauma and lost youth recognized publicly. And with her account zeroing out at the end of each month just to cover rent, Ashley couldn't help but think of just how much the money would make a difference in her life.
2: And mostly that maybe it wouldn't make the relationship worth it, but maybe it would make the lawsuit
0: worth it. Like if
2: if that's the cost of like how hard this trial is, then that makes sense to me. And can
0: you explain just like briefly what makes the trial hard to someone who might not understand?
2: Like everybody's talking about me, but nobody's asking me any questions. I like have to sit there and listen to what people have to say about me. Some of it is nice. Some of it isn't. Some of it is true. Some of it isn't, but I don't get to respond to it. Like, you just have to sit there and, like, take whatever's happening. Mm. And it's somehow completely about you, but you have no voice in any of it. So it, it was absolutely re-traumatizing.
0: One of the only healing things that came out of it was when a few teachers testified and explained the guilt they felt. How not doing anything to stop it had haunted them. Then, about a few weeks into the trial, after reliving so many traumatic moments, Ashley decided it'd become too much to handle.
2: I don't want to do this anymore. I hate this. I don't want to be here. And so I like went to Quinn's that night and I think I told her, I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm not going back tomorrow.
0: They were sitting on the couch together, both just wanting to move on with their lives. Ashley pulled out her phone and started writing an email to her attorneys. I'm done. Sorry. I am not going back.
2: And before I press send, I saw that I received an email from the attorneys offering a million dollars. Whoa. Um, <laughs> I was just shocked. I
1: think I I just felt stunned. The school district was settling.
0: Throughout the litigation, the teacher denied having any sexual relationship with Ashley. The district denied liability, but was offering Ashley a settlement, which would avoid having the case decided by the jury. I
2: said back, yes, I want that. I'm done. More than any joy about the money, I just remember relief that the trial was over and that And then, man, bonus, that it's not just me quitting, but it's me accepting an offer.
0: In the end, after attorney fees, Ashley received close to $450,000. Before the money hit her account, her balance was negative 33 cents. So you received, you know, close to half a million dollars. Um, Is there any amount (laughs) that ever feels sufficient?
2: No, I would I would trade it in a heartbeat to have my 17-year-old self back. Like no, there is no amount of money that I could be offered to make it have seen worth it.
0: Ashley spent a lot of that money helping family and friends, and both Ashley and Quinn hope to use some of it to build a family, to have a baby together. Ashley and Quinn have been together now for 6 years. They live in a house in the Seattle area. Quinn is about to graduate from a teaching master's program and hopes to finally start teaching later this year. The two of them are also now foster parents. As adults, when Ashley and Quinn think back on their experiences, one of the things that pains them most is how many people, how many adults in their lives, knew about what was going on but did nothing.
1: All the adults who could have made reports that went nowhere, or investigations that the district didn't follow up on, right? Like that, that there was such knowledge, it wasn't just suspicion,
2: right? Quinn and I talk about this a lot, that it's like also all, all the people who got talked out of their own instincts, we're like, how did that happen?
0: Both Ashley and Quinn make the point that the lawsuit, the money, that wasn't what helped them heal. In a way, yeah, the money gave them space and time to process, to not have to worry about a looming financial crisis. But what's made moving forward feel even remotely possible is having each other.
2: I feel and am seen by Quinn in a way that, like very few other people, nobody could, like, see me and know me. And to have, like, a baseline of shared languages and shared experiences, I think, made so much possible for me that maybe would have been possible for me someday, but I think would have taken me a very long time. So, like, it's, I I have gotten the benefit of not having to do kind of anything by myself since I met Quinn, so that's, it's life-changing.
1: The extraordinary part about our story is that, like, we're together, but the harm that we both experienced is, is so ordinary and commonplace. But for it to be so matched is like, is kind of magical with Ashley.
0: If you or someone you know has been affected by sexual abuse, first, I want to say you're not alone. For this episode, we consulted with RAIN, the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. They have a national sexual assault hotline that offers free, confidential, 24 7 support at 800 656 HOPE. That's 800 656 4673. If you want to reach out to us, share your thoughts, or even share your own story, We'd love to hear from you all. You can always email me and the team at uncomfortable at Also, if you haven't already, be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter. I write about what's on my mind, and the team collects their favorite recommendations, you know, things to cook and watch and listen to. You can sign up for that at marketplace.org/slash comfort. This
1: episode was produced by Alice Wilder and me, Marque Green. It was hosted by Rima Kreis. We wrote the script together the episode got additional support from Hannah Harris-Green, Peter Balanon-Rosen, and Haley Hirschman. Zoe Saunders is our senior producer. Our editor is Jasmine Romero. I'm our digital producer with help from Tony Wagner. Our intern is Yvonne Marquez. Sound design and audio engineering by Drew Jostad. Bridget Bodner is Marketplace's director of podcast. Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. Special thanks to Mark Anfitson, Kevin Hastings, and Aaron Robinson from Rain. And our theme music is by Wonderly.
0: Here is a little sneak peek for what's in store for y'all next time on This Is Uncomfortable.
2: Pay pigs, cash cows, wallets, ATMs, uh, cash dispensers.
0: We step into the world of financial domination and submission, and how for one man that meant relinquishing his money to complete strangers.
2: And I hit the button, and I sent my first thirty.
0: How did that feel?
2: I was like, man, there is nothing more degrading that I've ever done.
0: That's next week. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Sometimes you need to change a pace. That includes your finances. Get smart with your budgeting with financial tips straight from the nerds. NerdWallet's trusted experts will set future you up for success by untangling today's web of financial misinformation. Learn about smart investing strategies, tax planning pointers, and travel tips to save on a fun family getaway, maybe somewhere tropical. Spring ahead for smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app.